So Anne, how are you doing on your 30-day challenge? My biggest part of the 30-day challenge is reminding myself that I'm on a 30-day challenge. (laughs) It's a slippery, slippery beast, I think. Especially an emotional challenge, right? You can take the challenge, I'm going to go to the gym every day. And you have a really concrete example of how successful yeah, you're, you're being. Either, you're either going to the gym or you're not, whatever it is. It's very clear what progress you're making or what progress you're not making. But this one's a little more difficult. One of the things I've liked about it is literally the act of having an emotional challenge and talking about it. I've talked about it with clients. I've talked about it with friends. And what's been fun is it's really been a positive activation, real positive dialogues around just even the thought of what would the challenge be? That in and of itself, I think, has been really pivotal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have been really humbled by the whole experience. You know, I I definitely was having this, okay, you and I should be doing this really well because (laughs) we're the hosts of this podcast and encouraging and leading this challenge. And shouldn't we be models of success? And I can't say that that's actually happening. So I've redefined it to myself and said, I'm going to be a model of success by just being really honest about how freaking hard this is. (laughs) And uh, I think anybody who's in the depths of it, at least some people will be able to relate to that. Oh, you know, definitely. And it is hard. There's so much distracting us every single day, the activities of what we need to get accomplished and kids and like, how do you stop and really slow down enough to say, what is the one thing I really know that I want for myself that could build emotional health and security? That's a big topic. So I also want, we are continuing to have discussions on the Facebook group. We're going to do a few of these during this first 30-day push. But if you're just hearing about this, it's no problem at all. What you can still do is sign up through therapistuncensored.com backslash challenge. It's just a series of four emails, and it's going to help support you. They're, They're full of resources and stuff. And then, of course, we have that podcast that we just did. So don't feel left out if you haven't started guess what? You're not off the hook that easy. (laughs) If you're hearing this and your interest has peaked at all, all right, get on the bus. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. So how do you feel like you've been doing? Like I said, I think it's been harder than I expected on a number of levels. One is I think I picked something, like I was smart in a sense about what I picked because I knew it was like something that if I could change, it would be really pivotal. But I was a bit ambitious, I think, because it was it's such a deeply held unconscious learning. It's just very tough to get to because... Here's where we get into some of the science of it. Again, I don't know what you as audience member that are listening. I'm not sure what you picked, of course. But many of the things I think that we picked and from the Facebook group that's really active and talking about this and our patrons that are really active and talking about this, we're getting a lot of similar responses, which is that we're picking something that was an adaptation from our early life that we learned to do. And it was important that we learned to do it, but it's not necessarily helping us now. But the problem is, because it was laid down in our bodies so early and really without conscious thought, that even thinking about it doesn't necessarily change it, or at least not for very long. We can repress it. It's like white knuckling it. We can work to adapt to it and things like that, but it doesn't actually necessarily change that early memory. 
I think that's so important because I think we can put so much pressure on ourselves once we recognize something and say, this isn't working for me very well. I really need to stop doing that. And then lo and behold, and you we do don't. it. <laughs> yeah, we do it like in five minutes for doing it again. <laughs> I think of things like uh, people who speak really negative to themselves about themselves and the like, and then they get pep talks. You just need to be nicer. It is so deeply in our body and it helps us to know that. So that we, instead of telling ourselves, you know, this is the one thing I'm going to change it about myself. Like for those of us that may have a lot of negative self-talk and then somebody else comes around and just says, you know, you need to start talking nice to us. Just, you know, that can be in and of itself shaming. Right. Like you're so hard on yourself. Quit it's doing like, that. It's like, no shit, sure. Like, of course I'm hard on myself. <laughs> <laughs> so to know it's implicit and in the body and makes it very hard to change, I think is really relieving. It's relieving, but it's also frustrating, right? Because here we are, we've got this incredible community. We're trying it ourselves, trying to do something new. The idea is that we're picking one thing, not everything, and only with love and compassion and curiosity, big one. Really, the idea is that we're going to just examine this symptom, some symptom that we have or some behavior that is no longer serving us. So first off, it's just learning about it and becoming more aware of it. Like we're not even going to try to repress it or change it yet. Like learning about it. Maybe we try something new and that will be another way to continue to learn about it. Like if we have a resistance to changing, if we're reluctant to give up the old behavior, those kinds of things. That becomes really interesting, actually. No, it really does. So that's what's happening. We're in this kind of movement here. One of the things that I've been doing is, uh, like I said, I, I've kind of redefined it a couple of times because uh, I had to like scale back and then I would scale it back up. And then it's just been kind of a, a little bit of a zigzag process. So I can't imagine that's very different than many people, right? Right. And you said that you felt like you picked something, you, you went for sort of the... The heart of the matter. I was going to say the heart of the watermelon, but I yeah. don't know. That, that That's a different image that gives off, but you went for the heart of the matter. And you realized that was probably going too much to the core. That's what I was saying initially. But I just spent this weekend with Bruce Eckert. And by the way, I got to meet tons of our listeners from Austin, Texas. So big shout out. This happens quite a bit where, you know, if we go to professional events or something, people introduce themselves and say they listen to the show. And I wanted to tell you every time that happens, it's so meaningful. And thank you. And it's so cool. So I got to meet some folks like that this weekend, but also did some really interesting and kind of deep exploration of my personal challenge. And I felt like I just have a lot more clarity about it. Like I got a new piece on it. Even if it's hard, I want you to kind of keep working on exploring it or digging into it. And actually, I'm going to record something more in depth about that workshop and that conference. Some of my takeaways just to share my takeaways, right? And to also continue to support his work. And share that with our Patreons, right? That's right. So there are two things that were particularly helpful at getting at this implicit learning for me. And one of them was, so there's this great technique. And if you listen to the memory reconsolidation episode, and I'm sorry that I don't know the exact number right now, but we'll link it in our show notes. We go into a lot more about memory reconsolidation and coherence therapy. And there's some techniques in there that are really promising. It's basically what the neuroscience says about how to change these long-term implicit memories. So I think, oh, cool, I can read this technique and then I'll do it on myself. 
<laughs> and I was really convinced, like, I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. I can just, it's kind of like I can do EMDR myself or something. You know what I mean? So one of the things I figured out was like, because the whole dang thing is, it comes from your unconscious. It's like staring at the sun or something. There's no way to actually be able to see it by yourself. It would be an oxymoron, right? It's unconscious. It's unconscious. And so it's not that we can't move it. I think we can. And like, honestly, the longer we look at it and kind of curiously observe it and pick it apart a little bit and maybe even define it where it's like, oh, I don't do that all the time. I do that with this person. Well, and if I may, it's also what you're being curious about is your responses and what comes up and the feelings of threat. And what you're saying is getting deeper and deeper. And that is getting you closer to the unconscious and inviting it out in a safer way. So we can't know our unconscious for that matter. It's, it's our unconscious, but we can see the effects of it, the implicit coming out in our explicit reactions and working to get more comfortable with that invites it in more. Then we're also safer for those parts of us that have held on to this as an important learning. And so if we're not trying to pull it out of its hands, then we're really just trying to get to know it and understand it and appreciate the resistance or the symptom as an adaptation as something that has at some point really helped us. So one of my takeaways was you can't do this by yourself because I did try that. But uh, Don't try this at home. <laughs> but it, it went a lot further doing it with someone else because their minds were separate, obviously, and then they could think of things and hear things that I didn't realize what I was saying in the exercise. So that was actually really, really useful. And then the other part of it was the state-dependent learning idea. So again, like even, it's kind of like when you ask a parent, any parent, should you, you know, how do you parent? What are your values? Everybody's going to kind of say the same thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Consciously, most people are going to tell you, you know, don't hit your kid and, you know, be reliable and all these things. I want to be a good listener. I want to be a good listener. Let my kids express themselves. Right, right. But you get activated and what happens? Right. So we're not anticipating that they're starting to talk about something that freaks you out. <laughs> exactly. And so as good a listener as you want to be, they're saying something that all of a sudden your body feels a threat and you're going, what? Wait. And you're doing everything you told yourself you weren't going to do. Right. And so when we're in a regulated state, we have access to all this great knowledge and learned information. But as we get into a dysregulated state, the neural network shifts and it becomes a different learning. We really actually kind of lose contact for a moment with that more reflective stance, especially if, you know, we come from a neglect or a trauma background or have had tough things in life or had adversity. Then we have these learnings that are on their own network. And so that's why, like, I can know two things at one time, like, I don't hit my kids, but I shouldn't hit my kids. And then... I find myself being really hard or rough or, you know, like this example would be actually, you know, being physical with my kid, that those two things can coexist in the same person. And the person is a good person. We're not saying they're a bad person, but we just need to understand that they really are working on two different neural circuits. And the only way to change that symptomatic behavior is to get to that other circuit which has to do with activation. So we have to be actually feeling the feeling. I didn't actually mean to get into this detail. Do you think this is helpful? Should we keep going in this direction? Yeah, because I, I, I think it could relate to people's challenges because what we're, ta- hoping, yeah. what we're talking about is how difficult it is to know what it is you want to shift and 
how hard it is. And when we're making a challenge, we're telling ourselves we're going to do it. And at that moment, our body is in one state and we mean it. And we even have the insight into our implicit. We might know that we were abused by our own father and we may know that's what's activating us. So the intellectual understanding of that and what you're saying is the change often needs to be in the activated state. That's exactly right. Because what can happen is like, this happens to a lot of us is, let's say, I'm scared of people raising their voice, because, you know, my father had a rage issue. And so I get that the adult person that's yelling at me adult now isn't as threatening as I felt when I was a kid, I can see all that. But then it often goes to, well, why in the world haven't figured, you know, I'm 50 years old. Why haven't I figured this out now? Like, I know that. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm so dumb. And that's often the experience of the next day is then the flood of shame because I know better. Right. And I still got activated. And then, oh, my God, how long? How long do I need to talk about this? And we get that a lot. Like, oh, my God, I know this happens to me. Why am I going to talk about my abusive father again? I've already done that work. You've you've heard that. I've already done that work. I've already talked about that. (laughs) Right. And so this gets to the, the heart of the matter of why just talking about it in a regulated state and through that may not be what leads to the kind of change you're looking for. Caveat, not everybody picked something that was, you know, kind of really wanting to change their implicit learnings that are no longer serving us. Some people, it might may have been a different behavior or something like that, which is cool. And that's good too. But basically, it's like these little trauma pockets or little experiences that our body has stored as if it was trauma, whether someone else would say it was or not. It flooded us. And we remember now, if somebody raises their voice, duck. Or if you don't set a boundary, something bad's going to happen or whatever the particular issue is. And for you, what you were saying a little bit earlier is that one of the things you got out of the conference is the realization sort of what was going on for you in the one that you chose. And I believe it was, you were very broad in what you talked about, but part of it was the details, knowing that you can get getting caught, caught on details, getting That's caught, right. getting caught on details. And so it'd be really easy to say, I think I'm just not going to let myself get caught on details. But the details that start to not match up is what really activates your body in a way that makes it feel unsafe. So I'm going to take a risk here and share a little bit more about what I learned about that, which I was unexpected. Like I knew some of where it comes from, you know, I kind of thought I might get a little bit of gleaming. But the new thing that I got was the detail happens that doesn't feel like this is going to sound weird, but I'm just going to share it because some people will relate to this. Chucking along, going on, you know, everything's fine. Something happens and what it triggers is we're not seeing reality the same way. And I understand from my history why that's important, right? Because things would happen and then they, and then it would be as if it didn't happen. And so I think that what I've done is I've learned I, that's not going to happen to me again. I'm going to keep my mind online and I'm not going to basically have that terrible experience of losing myself and not being able to have my own grounding. So then I become very firm. So then when it happens now, adult, I become very firm, like, wait a minute, this is happening. You know, I'm going to tell the truth. I saw that happen, blah, blah, blah. Even if it's a stupid, stupid, dumb thing, right? Like it's a complete overreaction. But the new thing that I got was part of why that I grip onto it is because I didn't necessarily have help back then holding on to the ground of what was happening. One of my things that I wasn't aware of is that like, I don't have any sense that anybody's going to help me with this. 
I'm on my own, so I have to hold on to it. And if I let it go or get flexible, the whole thing goes away. I don't have yet a memory of this particular weirdness of myself having participation in helping the floor stay under me if I'm not the one doing it. Does that make sense? I think what I hear you saying is that if you're focused too much on trying to stop yourself from trying to clarify reality. Right. In some ways, it sounds like you're also then sort of leaving yourself alone, like, okay, I should just be okay with that. And that you connected to that the it was being alone with the non-reality that was so terrifying that that's what your body's responding to. Right. And that right now, sort of the recognition of, of needing help, that not being alone. So aloneness is the implicit trigger. If I'm going to hang on to my mind when somebody's telling me something didn't happen when it did, I don't have any internal implicit memory of being helped with that, right? So the way a, a survival thing is to just like, well, at the time it was to let myself sort of dissolve into like, okay, it didn't happen or whatever, or like just like, okay, we're going to just have breakfast the next morning and everything's fine and, you know, whatever. And that was adaptive and that was smart. But in my life, I've worked really, really hard to not have that happen so that the new thing is that when that happens, one, and this is the part I already knew, is I know that I don't have to be that reactive to it. You know, when, when our realities aren't matching up, it's fine. It's not, it's not like, so what? So I learned more about my steadfastness in it and, and why that it became like it felt a little bit more urgent to make sure that the real like not that I had to control the reality. It doesn't have to be my way, but at least where that I can feel that we're both seeing the same thing, even if we're seeing it differently. That's the weird thing. The next thing was part of why that I get so stiff about it is because I it doesn't even occur to me that someone else would be there to help with that to say like oh you can relax and I'm going to make sure that the floor stays up under even if things get confusing or what have you yeah that somebody could be there with you in it and in fact the more right, alone, that's new <laughs> and the more alone and scared you feel and the more desperate your body feels it may inadvertently keep people from being able to be there totally right because right. Wait, I, I don't even know to look for them <laughs> right I, that's not my reality and that can go back and forth and knowing that the reality while important is not the core what the core is that somebody can help you exactly and that somebody could be there right and it's not not all up to me to hang on to that that sort of thing so that was cool so I'm sure I'm still going to do it I don't know but that was an example of me kind of really trying to dig in and work on it. So we'll see. I'll kind of keep y'all posted of how, if that made any change or not, but I'm hoping so. And I'm going to get it to sink into my unconscious self, some of these new learnings that I'm like, in other words, we're trying to move from the ways that we adapted and survived to this new secure way of relating, which is that, you know, even if I'm not the one hanging on to things, somebody else will be there to help that kind of stuff. I really like that, Sue, and I think that's so important because we're not, there's so many times when we're having a goal, and we did say that in our first one, Let's, how are you going to know it's changing? What's the behavioral? Yeah. And it can make us think of an outcome-oriented like behavior. Right. right. Which is the symptom, and that is true. It starts with the behavior. It starts with the symptom. Right, but in recognizing the symptom that you want to shift, you've gone much more internal, and you've named one part of it, and now you've, you're you're unlayering it. Right. So you're really smack dab on your goal. Right. The goal is this aspect that you want to go deeper and deeper on and shift to more of a 
a sense of security inside of you. So it's the exploration that's making you really hit a home run with your goal, in my personal right. opinion. Well, I don't, it's not a home run yet, but I, I think I, I mean, at least I'm back at bat, whereas before I was like, oh my God, this is too hard. Because no matter how much I was thinking of it, like if I even thought of the thing that would trigger me, I could still get a little activated just even thinking about it. Anybody that has something like that, I want you to look for those things where that like, you know that the TV channel's right, you're seeing something correctly, but the volume is like, wow, you know, really loud. That's a sign that there's something there that's caught or that has the hitch that could be unwound. Right. And the reason I'm going to reiterate that it is a home run, because we think of the home run as sort of the end goal, but that I want to really dissuade anybody from thinking about that. It isn't the end goal. It's the journey. And so what I feel like you've done and you've been so authentic with our listeners is shared your journey and your journey is going deeper and deeper. So often we get so frustrated that we haven't accomplished our goals, but it's the journey and the goal that you are definitely accomplishing. You've taken some layers off and you've taken a risk to go deep. Um, grateful for you to share that with me and our listeners. Well, thank you. I feel, and it's a good sign that i you know, it feels fine. It feels very shareable and hopefully relatable I know people don't have that specific weirdness, but we all have something. And so I know many of you listening now have that thing that you're working on. So I just happened to have been at this workshop and really knew that I wanted to work on that. You can find out more about that particular technique with, again, that is Bruce Ecker and coherence therapy. But you don't even have to do that particular kind of therapy. Any kind of work where that it's interpersonal and that you're getting activated and then you're having a new learning. That's the really shorthand of it. We have been contacted by a couple of people of like, oh, wow, this is pretty tough. You know, this would be maybe a really good opening to if you're not already in therapy or if you want to resume therapy or if you want to deepen your therapy. You know, we're not therapy fanatics, even though we're therapists. If you notice, we don't really refer people that much to therapy. But for something like this, if you're struggling, you know, Psychology Today has a really good resource guide you can put if it's trauma informed or attachment informed you can do these really specific searches in your area and then we also have goodhelp.com for online therapy if you're in an area that doesn't have someone close by or for any reason that it's not cool culturally or even financially it makes it much more accessible to do online therapy and that is an interpersonal experience and way better than not having it and the thought of seeking therapy or help because you're wanting to deepen security inside yourself and build relationships, not because you think you're messed up and need to be fixed. I really want to emphasize that because this stuff is exciting. I mean, at least for us, we're nerds in this. It's so exciting when we get something and we feel like we're growing and building. And I hope it's a motivator and not, oh my gosh, I got to go change this bad thing about ourselves. We said maybe a bad habit, but what it is, it's something that we're doing that's not really what we want to be doing. And we're going to build muscles. I literally think of it as building muscles to activate more of what we want in the world. That's right. And if we're too comfortable, that's never going to happen. But we also need to be comfortable enough. So it's really funny. New learning has to, you have to have some distress to activate your system to know that it's important new. But if you have too much distress, you're not going to be able to take it in and learn it. So we're looking for that middle range. And I love how you're talking about therapy. And that's how I think of it, too. It's like, it's like going to the gym, you go to the gym, not because you're so weak, you can't walk down the road. But you go to get stronger and to find muscles you never knew you had and to have capacities that you have never had before. So I was going to share one part of my challenge 
this month, I guess in time, I'm going to share a success, but I don't want it to feel like it, part of my challenge has been to keep it in mind, yep. to keep it focused and to keep it kind of part of my daily experience. And that's been hard to do, mm-hmm. but the broader part of holding it has been inspiring. And so my challenge was, I sometimes refer to it as my own weather report, but is really being able to be deeply inside myself in my own experience, while also with somebody that I love and care deeply about is in an experience that may need my support or help. As you're saying it now, it's more specific than it was. It's more clear than it was. The work, it gets more and more defined. Oh, So that's cool. So go ahead. Yeah, I think it has. I think it has. And it's been fun to kind of keep it in mind when I'm talking to my kids, et cetera. It's really been, actually, I found it inviting. So one success I had, and it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I went to an amazing performance and it was a musical performance. And I was with a friend and the experience was very stirring. It was very stirring for both of us. And in that, my friend ended up feeling their experience in this very deep, tearful way some sadness, some joy, just a mixture. I didn't know completely, but very emotional right next to me. It was really lovely because I found myself both connected and caring and able to want to be there and to know about her experience. And then at the same time, remembering my challenge, it could have been easy for me to be more focused on her experience than my own during the process. That would have been so easy because it was more explicit right there. There there was tears and emotion. And so it was so easy to get drawn that way. And I wanted to, and I could have done that and been extremely happy with the whole experience. But I remembered my challenge. And so while being there, I also then slowed down and took in my separate experience of the performance and the music and ended up sort of leaning forward and really taking that in at the same time, which was this really active, vivacious joy that I was having by experiencing music that the room was full of people. Um, I could look around and see all their smiles and they were impacted by the music and I was too. So there was this deep shared experience and a lot of joy. And I was really able to stay in my own experience of excitement and vivaciousness while not completely knowing what was going on with my friend, but feeling connected to it. So when I left, really felt that as a a success of mine. Oh, that is wonderful. I think that's total success because you could feel the activation a little bit Mm -hmm. and then you were able to experiment and do something different and hold on to yourself. And it went well, nobody died and nobody, you know what I mean? Whatever our fears are about what happened. And it was not, and we left just having this amazing experience. It was the best night. And I could hear all even more deeply about what all was going on, which is a myriad of emotions for her and share mine. And it felt very separate rather than my being so focused on, on her experience because it was so explicit. Okay, guys, we're going to keep popping on occasionally a little bit more during this time to offer support. Remember, there is the email support. If you go to therapistuncensored.com backslash challenge, you'll get just a short series of emails just about this and lots of resources. We're packing lots of resources into that. There's no course on the other end or we're not selling anything. This is just to try to get us to really have impact and help you have impact in your life and making these changes. 
And just remember, too, Sue's going to jump on for our Patreon members and talk a little bit more about that training and the outcome she got from it to our Patreon members. So look for that if you're a Patreon. And if you are not, and you would be so inclined to join us, we can't tell you how much it means to us that some people join and help support, not only that we can bring this kind of information to you, but you help us bring it worldwide to those who otherwise couldn't get this kind of material about building security one episode of a time. So you can go to patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored and become a Patreon member. We would be so very grateful. Yep. We love our nerd nerds. All right. Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 